When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to This Sport Pod. I'm Peter Harding and I'm the founder of Why Can't We? This Sport Pod will be focused on disability sports. I'm bringing you up to date with the world of para sports, interviewing some of the athletes as well as the people involved behind the scenes. If this is your first time finding out more about disability sports, then follow Why Can't We on social media. Also go to whycan'twe.co.uk where we've got interviews, news articles, videos and so much more. So without further ado, enjoy this podcast. Okay, so um, thank you again for joining. So do you want to sort of introduce yourself? And Sure, although I hate introducing myself. <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Steph Reed. Um, I am a Paralympian. I've been competing as a long jumper since 2006, and I've absolutely loved that. Um, my life before that was as uh, training to be a biochemist. Um, but I've got to say, long jumping is way more fun. The best part about being an athlete is that you see these different worlds and you get asked to these different things. And through that, um, I found myself working as, as a broadcaster, uh, modeling, doing all sorts of fun things for sponsorship. Um, I love doing corporate speaking. And um, recently I was on Dancing on Ice. Um, I have done four Paralympics now. Um, Beijing, London, Rio, and Tokyo, and I've worked on the other side as a, a broadcaster and a pundit and a commentator, um, and I absolutely love the world of sports. So that's interesting to say about how you became, you moved from being a biochemist to being an athlete. How did you make that decision? Well, um, so that decision, so I, I've been an athlete my whole life. I have loved sport from as early as I can remember in school, I played everything from, um, you know, basketball, volleyball, cross country, tennis, swimming. Um, if it was offered, I was there. And then when I was 12, I found rugby and absolutely fell in love. And my dream was to be an international rugby superstar. That was what I wanted to do. And, um, when I, Things were actually looking really good. Um, for me, rugby was just that sport where people always say, oh, but you're quite small. And I'm like, yes, but I was a scrum half. That was fine. And it was the one sport that I felt like all of my gifts as an athlete and a strategist and a person, they all just came together in this one game. And I just loved it. Um, but when I was 15, I was in a boating accident and um it, it was quite serious and fortunately I survived, but um, they, they had to amputate part of my, my right leg. So I was a below knee amputee um, and 
I guess the reality, I mean, I didn't know anything about disability. I don't think I had a single, I didn't have a single disabled friend. Um, and so this was just this new world that I got thrown into. And in the back of my mind, all I'm thinking is, you know, how am I going to play sport if I can't run? So as you around experienced disability sport before, because I had a brain injury in 2012, and I'm interested to know how much exposure you actually had prior to your work in the media or actually in the sports itself. Um, well, see, the thing is, I, I don't actually recall having any exposure to it. However, in my mind, I had a very negative view towards it. So I must have seen something about it. There was something there because otherwise that view wouldn't exist. And, um, and I, I remember even um, as it, it takes a while to, you know, get a running leg and to heal and all that stuff. And, you know, people were always, oh, you know, you can still, you know, there, there are places you can do sport. And my attitude was, well, I don't, I don't want to be part of, you know, special sport. Um, so I, I obviously had a negative attitude towards it. So I must have had some exposure. Um, but, you know, in my mind, I was very much, no, like I want to get back to playing with able-bodied people. And if I can't do that, then I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Um, and so yeah. that was a time, I mean, so I was injured in 2000. And so this was a time before, you know, Paralympics was cool or anyone even knew what it was. So I kind of accepted, okay, like my, my future is probably not in sport. And so, um, I, I really liked, I loved school. Uh, well, to be fair, I guess it was just another competitive outlet. And so I just invested all my time in academics and I got an academic scholarship to study biochemistry. I was going to be a doctor and then at university discovered athletics and I got a running blade and I got sidetracked and that's the short story. And now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, and so obviously you then went to, is it Queen's University? Am I right saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Queen's University. And that's then when you discovered the athletics. So how did that happen? Was it something that you thought about before and actually you'd run before with your prosthetic or was it a new thing for you to suddenly be in this world of um, um, Yeah, it was, it was, I had run on an artificial leg before. Um, I just, I didn't enjoy it very much because so something that, you know, you, you wouldn't know unless you're an amputee. It, 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 it takes a while to, get your body back to a place after a traumatic accident um, and a traumatic amputation where you can actually run on it. And it's because when the amputation happens, um, you know, feet are amazing and even more amazing, which nobody thinks about heel skin. Like if you think about the skin on your heel, um, which no one does, um, it's actually amazing. And it's amazing because it allows that part of your body to take huge amounts of force. So when you're sprinting, um, three to five times your body weight goes through your foot. When you're long jumping at takeoff, nine times your body weight. It's a lot of force and a lot of pressure. So when I first went back to running, I could run for maybe a minute or two. And I was just in pain because the bones and the skin I was on, they tried to save my heel pad and they couldn't. So imagine the skin that covers your ankle. That's what I have on the end of my stump. And it doesn't feel very nice. So that was kind of my introduction to running and you know it's even though I loved running it's just it's not fun when you're in constant pain and so I kind of left it for a while but I just I also knew in the back of my head you know time changes a lot of things and if you just keep doing little bits um, every so often eventually hopefully 
you know, I'll be at a place where I can play, I can do sport comfortably. And uh, when I got to university and the time I started running, that was about, you know, four years later and your body does change. And I was finally at a point, I was still in a little bit of pain, but um, I could, I could actually train realistically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and in terms of being in your first competition, um, obviously you've been you've been training all this time, and you've sort of got used to the, the pain, if you like, of running on that prosthetic. And then, what was the first time you thought I'm going to enter for a competition and see how far this goes? Um, gosh, well, I mean, the hardest thing I ever did was probably show up to that first training session, um, just because you know I was going in with my athletics university team, there wasn't an option for a disability team. And I was super unfit, not because I wasn't a good athlete, but I just hadn't done anything, you know, in, in four years. And I was having to go and learn how to train and run alongside these amazing athletes. So doing that was the hardest thing ever. After that, I mean, competition was easy. <laughs> Nothing else would be that hard. <laughs> but um, I, I was actually really lucky in that um, – I had made contact with, um, we had a, it was called Paralympics Ontario. Fortunately, I lived in a really, as you can tell from my accent, um, I grew up in Toronto. Um, and, you know, I was just really lucky that this organization existed and and I called them and just said, you know, what, what can I do? And, um, you know, a few weeks later, these two, um, older gentleman in a car showed up at my house and we're going to take me for the weekend. It sounds really sketchy. It wasn't. Um, and they were going to take me for the weekend to an athletics track, track meet. And it was a meet with other people with disabilities. And, and actually for me, that was a great entry point just because um, yes, I'm very confident, but it was just easier for me to be around other people with disabilities who weren't going to find it weird that, okay, here's like four legs all decorated over there. And so um I just think I, I don't know what I would have done without um, those guys, um, Alan. Um, and I just realized that's what it takes. Like, what if I didn't know? What if I didn't know? Then maybe I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. So just to say, obviously, anyone who is listening, if anyone does turn up with a car, don't just jump in it, please. Yeah. But- <laughs> Okay, yeah, I mean, my, my mom bedded them, so we're okay. But ordinarily, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I look back now, like, what was she thinking? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's good, that's good. Um, in terms of sort of your progression through to becoming the amazing athlete that you, you are, you know, you went, you've won um, multiple Paralympic medals, five times world record holder as well, so, um, you know, quite a big feat. And also, in terms of doing the, the long jump as well, how, how did you discover the long jump? So I had zero interest in it. Um, actually, I, I remember as a kid actually winning the long jump in like a school sports day, but um, I very much wanted to, to sprint. And it was just, I, I was at a meet one day and I had competed in the 100, the 200, the 400, and I was ready to go home. And someone just said, well, the long jump's about to start and there's a spot, like, do you want to go and, and jump in it? And I was like, yeah, sounds kind of fun. And the reason I had never bothered was because I my right leg was always my dominant leg. That's the leg I would jump off of, but that was also like that I lost that everyone. And when I ran down the long jump runway, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no training. That was just what naturally came out. I just took off that leg and it worked. And everyone's like, wow, like you're, you're really good at this. Like you should, you should train. And, um, and then I started doing long jump too. And that was that. Amazing. I mean, I guess the question for me really in terms of long jump is you said about that pain, you know, when you do the running, with a long jump, surely when you jump off a prosthetic leg, there must be a bigger impact on your leg to, to do that jump. How was that for the first time? 
Um, well, the good news is, is you, you kind of grow with your body. So my very, like, I, I work a lot to develop on power. My very first takeoff, you know, the power I could produce then, it didn't compare to the power that I can produce now. So, okay. uh, but saying that, um, elite sport is not, sport is great for your body. Elite sport is not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have several, you know, I take, I have to take very good care of my back in order to keep doing this. Yeah. Okay, okay, nice, yeah. In terms of sort of in, over towards Paralympic, um, the Paralympic pathway and also competing for GB, um, did, first of all, did you have to make a decision to compete for GB or for um, either to Toronto or compete for Australia or New Zealand that you were born? Um, did you yeah. make that decision or was that something you just thought, right, UK and go for, go for that? Um, so, so, yeah, so I have three passports because I was born in New Zealand. Um, my parents are British and then um, I have a Canadian one through naturalization. So in 2008, I competed for Canada in Beijing. And that was literally just because that was really the only option. Um, that's where I was training. But then in I won a medal in 2008. And that was quite unexpected. And then in 2012, um, the head coach of the British team, uh, he actually, I, I knew him and he actually coached my husband, Brent, who's also um, a pretty good wheelchair racer. And he knew I had a British passport. And so he approached me and said, um, you know, would you consider competing for Great Britain? And that was a really hard decision. But, um, well, I say it was hard, but actually it was really easy. I wanted to be the best athlete that I could be. And I knew that when a country hosts uh, an Olympics or Paralympics, they invest heavily in, in coaching, in physio, uh, in my case, prosthetics. Um, I, as a Paralympic athlete, I had no money. I just graduated university. Um, I didn't, I, I wanted to be the best in the world, but how can you do that when there's the realities and the practicalities? And um, I knew that for me to be my best, it was going to happen in Great Britain. And it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm so glad I did. And we're very glad to have you on, on the Great British as well. It's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> So you left university, you said you didn't have that much money. Do you think there's a difference in terms of the able-bodied sports getting funding compared to the Paralympic sports getting funding, or is that now being, that gap being closed? So actually, and, and I'm only going to speak now about the UK. Uh, I, won't, I won't go into the rest of the world. But in terms of government funding um, from, from UK sports, um, we're really lucky in this country in that it actually is quite even. Um, the Well, I say that again, if you basically, if you want to be funded on the Paralympic program, you need to be able to win a gold medal or you have to win a gold medal. Whereas on the able-bodied side, um, you know, top 10, you can still get on the, the highest level of funding. And so look, there's different arguments for that. People will argue, yeah, but it's a smaller pool in the Paralympics, which is not untrue. And, and so you can look at that whichever way you want. But for me, the difference comes from, um, you know, funding is not going to set you up for life. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to pay your mortgage. Like that's for your, your training fees, but you know, people also need to, most people don't want to live with their parents, you know, when, when they, when they carry on and that, you know, they want to eventually save for a mortgage. The difference yeah. is that para-sport is not professional in the same way that able-bodied sport is. If I go to compete, not only do I, I pay to travel there, there's no prize money. And the difference on the athletic side is that often there's prize money and they'll pay for you to travel. So, uh, and equally, if you look at things in terms of, um, Nike, Adidas and, and who they sponsor and, and the amount of money they put into kit deals, Huge difference. Hi, I'm Matt. 
I'm a Why Can't We journalist and you can check out my articles at whycan'twe.co.uk. You were saying about how you know, there's a difference in terms of the finances between the everybody and disabled sports, but with 2012, there was a big change in terms of the awareness of disability and support for disabled sports. Um, I think we saw that change in 2012 with the London Paralympics. Did that also support you as a para-athlete in terms of your ability to be able to go, actually, no, I deserve more funding and I deserve more of an impact in the media and deserve more of a name? And, you know, did you see that shift at all? Um, yes, I, I definitely did. And actually, I should temper what I just said by saying that um, 2012, part of the reason why the, the Paralympics and para-athletes were able to have such a great stage is because we had three factors come together and you always need three. One, um, we had a group of athletes and para-athletes that had been training very hard and were very good. Um, we, we need we need to entertain and, and we had that. So athletes were at a standard that was comparable now to able-bodied athletes. You know, in the past, you could argue the athletes, they were, tra- I mean, they, were, they had full-time jobs. They were only able to train, you know, after work two or three times a week. This time we had full-time athletes that put on incredible performances. Second thing you need, you need great sponsorship. You need businesses buying in. And we had that. There were some amazing British sponsors that came on board. And we should definitely shout about that because that was game-changing. The third thing that you need is you need TV coverage and media. And we had that. Um, We had that with Channel 4. And it was such a cool and different campaign. and, And that's why that was so amazing. The problem is it was this incredible moment in time. And the question is always going to be, will that then carry over and transfer over? Yeah. And and also, you know, we don't want this to end up being something that happens once every four years to be sustainable. It has to have some, it has to have momentum at least, you know, every year, um, if not throughout the year. And I think you kind of end up in a catch 22 where I think athletes definitely have started realizing do you know what I I like what I'm doing is it's worthwhile and people care about it and I shouldn't be embarrassed or you know to ask for the same stuff but the other problem is is you said you know do you feel like you deserve more it's almost like okay if I want to put my house on sale for the market and I feel like it deserves you know a million pounds that's all well and good but unless someone pays that um, it's irrelevant and so you're kind of stuck yeah, with what the market thinks. Yeah, of course, I understand that entirely. Um, and let's think about your transition from being um, an incredible athlete that you are and you, you still are, um, to then becoming um, involved with the media. And you started doing commentary, done some presenting, um, and then obviously you've done dancing on ice. You've also been a MasterChef contestant well, or finalist, should I say. So, um, you know, how have you navigated the journey through um, into the media? Um- I mean, one, my rule is you say yes to everything at least once. <laughs> always, always say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I mean, I have always, I, I've always loved speaking um, alongside my athletics. I always, you know, went to schools and, and I did corporate speaking. But to be honest, I, I got my big break. Um, actually, what was like the worst moment of my life. Um, it was in April 2015. I, I prolapsed, speaking about backs and long jumping. Uh, I had a really serious back injury and I prolapsed a disc. And um, it was quite awful because discs, there's never a guarantee that they will heal. And even if they do, you have no idea when. And so I was kind of like, well, 
what am I, I've never had a free summer. Um, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, I just happened to catch actually a tweet from Gabby Logan that talked about um, there was this sports reporter uh, internship you could do through the BBC. And so um, I applied and, and I got that. And that was great because I had eight weeks of amazing training to be a sports reporter. And then um, BBC also did this. Um, it was kind of like this competition slash boot camp to be a weather presenter. And oh, I, <laughs> I went for it, too, um, you know, not really knowing. But um, the big break was actually... I couldn't, I couldn't go to the world championships in 2015 and I was devastated. And, um, but channel four was broadcasting them and they ahead of the 2016 Paralympics. And I was asked if I wanted to come on as a pundit. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch other people compete at me that I wanted to go to. But then I realized, Stephanie, that's a terrible attitude. And, you know, again, you might learn something. And I went and, um, it was just, uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And it was only meant to be for a day, but they said, you know, you did really well. Like, why don't, why don't you keep coming back? And I was like, okay. And really it just started from there. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, so you recently went on um, the Invictus Games mm-hmm. um, and you also reported from the Invictus Games. So how was that? Oh, it was so amazing. Well, I got to hang out with you for the first two days because um, yeah. we were we were commenting uh, commentating from athletics, and then um, going. It, it, it's so interesting during the Invictus Games because it's it's so different from any other sporting competition. Um, in that it's this interesting blend of, yes, it's athletics, but it's also very much um, entertainment and human interest stories. And so the way it blends is so different. And there's so, so much that so many sporting events can learn from that. And um, yeah, it was just great again to go and just explore. Remember, you know, live TV is a hard thing to do and it's a skill. And the challenge as an athlete is that my schedule is so restrictive that I can't do it as frequently as I would like. Um, but yeah. it was just, it, it was, it was awesome. And it was live sport and there was audiences. And um, again, I just love it too, because people often think, you know, th- there's more to para sport than the Paralympics and the Paralympics will die if people don't understand that there's as much value. It's as relevant to do para sport um, just recreationally. Um, I love Tana Gray Thompson had a quote that uh, I, I'm going to butcher it, but she just said, it is, it is my right as a para athlete to do sport and suck at it. I shouldn't have to be a world champion for someone to care about me playing sport because sport is just about, it's important for everybody. Everybody um, deserves a chance to see what their body can do and to play. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's definitely true. And it's a, it's a great quote. So it's well done for remembering that one. Um, <laughs> You said about how, you know, there's a lot of human interest stories. A lot of people have acquired their injuries during these games. Um, and, you know, there's a, a huge transition from being an able-bodied person, not really understanding about disability sports, suddenly you're involved in this world of disability sports. Did you kind of relate to that in, in some ways as well, I guess? Um, I know I certainly did. Yeah, um, it's, I, I think it's, it, it's a very different experience, um, I think, for people that are involved in a traumatic accident later in life yeah. um, as opposed to being born with a disability. I'm not sure what the difference is because um, I only know my experience. I just know that it's different. And um, I think maybe it, it really struck me when my mom was explaining it to me, um, her, her, her view of it as a parent. Um, and she just said, mm-hmm. if, if 
you know, for her as a parent, uh, if almost like if, if, if she was a parent and I had been born with a disability, every step from that point would have been a step forward. We would have been an improvement. But for her, you know, she was struggling because no matter what, I was never going to have my foot back. It was always a step back. So it was actually really interesting to understand that difference in perspective. And for me, that was my biggest struggle as an athlete. Um, I went back to playing rugby initially and I just, I didn't enjoy it because I kept comparing myself to the athlete that I was. And I was never going to be that. So it's almost like you have to make the separation in your mind. Yes, that is who I was then. This is who I am now. But it's just so, it's this identity shift that you're making on top of everything else. And it is so, so hard. And it takes a very, very long time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's, that's very true. Um, in terms of the media coverage then, so for the Paralympics, we seem to get this huge, massive spike in terms of our coverage. And it's fantastic to see but do you think that's something that should be replicated throughout all of the competitions? You know, there's so many competitions going on throughout the whole year in terms of para sports, not just the Paralympics once every four years. Do you think that's slowly starting to change and we're actually getting to see more competitions like Wimbledon, for example, with the wheelchair tennis being shown on BBC now? Um, we've always got the games. We've got lots more competitions getting that coverage. But do you think things can be improved or not? Yes. Um, but I, I feel like, okay, you, and, and you'll understand this, you can answer that from every athlete would say, yes, we should be showing everything, but almost like the TV and the producer hat in me also thinks um, there is a danger in showing um, events or a meet that aren't high quality enough. Um, I would never want a meet shown that looks like it should be a school sports day um, that I think yeah. would actually be, be damaging. Um, I think the wheelchair tennis is a fabulous example. And uh, you know, if, in terms of if I was going to advise someone on what sport to get into in terms of if you want to make a living, yeah, wheelchair tennis. Um, they're doing such a great job. But again, you can show, <clears throat> BBC can show a two-hour match because it only requires basically, uh, depending if it's a doubles or a single, two or four really good players playing. Um, we need to have enough events that are going on and a big enough base that's going on um, that all around the world, all of these meets that are high enough standard um does that make sense yeah it does touch okay. the, yeah, yeah. um so it's, it's this really tough yeah, again it, unfortunately it comes down to money and investment and we just yeah, we just does. need more sponsors uh, and again if you have the sponsorship you can put on a bigger event the bigger event with prize money it will attract the best you'll end up with an awesome meet and it's just this you know everyone talks about well what comes first what somebody just needs to step up and do it yeah it's the chicken of the egg isn't it we're not talking about, you know, you're talking about these amazing athletes and events that they've got to try and competing but then also you need to try and get more coverage of it but then there's not going to be coverage there's not events and there's not going to be spectators there but there's not going to be coverage and just yeah. go around and around so yeah exactly. I understand. And so yeah it's definitely a painful thing um and so in terms of your um dancing nice experience as well um tell us a bit about that Oh, oh, Peter, it was so good. I just, I mean, it, it, it was honestly the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Harder than, I, harder than competing? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. I think wow. because I, I was so far out of my comfort zone, you know, I'm not, I wasn't a dancer. I wasn't a performer. I wasn't a skater. And I think fortunately I was so naive going in as to how hard it would be what I didn't understand was, you know, when I walk in everyday life, I probably have, you know, I, I definitely use my left leg more than my right and, and I can get away with that, but you can't on ice um, because of the balance and the intricacy involved. Um, you've got to be 50, 50. 
and, you know, just the amount that you use your feet and your ankles and your toes and proprioception and just not having that. It was just, I think the first two months, I really, really struggled to the point where I was just like, I just, I don't see a way forward. I couldn't skate backwards. It was just, it was just awful, but we were working, we were working so hard and Andy, my professional partner, he was amazing. And, and he would just like, I would watch him sometimes skating on a break and I'm like, why is he being so weird? But what he was doing was he was in his mind imagining what it would be like to skate without a foot or an ankle and not be able to feel it. So he could then teach that to me. And that combined with um, the gentleman who makes my legs, um, we we ended up making um, a slightly different leg. Um, just to help me skate a little bit better. One, it was um, it was shorter, which also helped me to not trip over my toe pick all the time, which was not fun. Um, and so all these little things just kind of started coming together. And then my brain just somehow made the connection and different body parts were able to take over and do the job. And it was just, honestly, it was just proof to me, you can, you know, I don't want to say you can do anything because sometimes that's just a bit thrown around, but actually you can get a lot better at something if you just refuse to to stop and um yeah and oh. actually I still skate I love it she's so skate. yeah it's great I have a um so every Wednesday um skate UK they they have these lessons you can go through one through eight and then you enter the bronze silver and gold and then you get into competition states where you can go and like compete as an adult. It's great. Amazing. At the moment, I'm I'm in the bronze dance and it's hilarious because I go every Wednesday and they're not really designed for adults. So it's kind of like me there with like my 13 year old posse and we all hang out <laughs> and they're like, who is this girl? Um, you know, that's 37 with the artificial light. But it's it's great. I, I just love it. Nice. Oh, that's really good. That's great to see. Um, and then in terms of your experience on MasterChef, completely different experience. Are you the, the kick in the house or do you kick for Brent as well? Oh, Brent. Brent loved my stint on MasterChef. Um, it coincided with when he just started marathon training. And so he was oh, wow. all over. He's like, I will try everything for you, babe. I just really want to support you. And I'm like, I mean, he was having, um, you know, French, uh, a rack of French lamb every day. And he was like loving it. Um, but I actually, I wasn't really a cook before then. Um, as, as if you want to be, Anybody who wants to be an elite athlete, um, you do have to have a basic level of cooking uh, unless, you know, you're, I don't know, you play football and you can have a personal chef. But um, in terms of just, you know, meal prepping and that sort of thing, you know, you know, the basics. I know how to make scrambled eggs, you know, oatmeal, I can make my protein shake. And that was kind of the end of it. But again, I just... Um, I, I was kind of under the impression it was going to be a bit like um, dancing on ice or strictly come dancing where you had a, you know, a chef coach. It was not the case. You were just left on your own. And so it was just oh. me and YouTube. And um, again, it's amazing what you can do when you don't want to look silly on TV. <laughs> so you didn't even get any, any, tra- any training at all with Jet. You still managed to make no. amazing videos. And if you've not watched it, please go make sure you do watch it. <laughs> I um, I did lots of research on YouTube. Um, I scoured Instagram endlessly for food plating ideas, and um, yeah, just went for it. Okay, amazing. Um, and so, what's next for you then, um, in terms of your um, athletics and also um, your your media work as well? Um, well, I. I'm definitely at a point where I would love to pursue, I, I just, I love communicating. I love broadcasting. I love sport. And I'm a very firm believer that 
people will never be able to love parasport if they don't understand it. And, and, and so I want to be involved in part of that process and just translating what people are seeing on TV to that. And so I do really hope to have more TV work, both in sport and not in sport, and both in able-bodied athletics or able-bodied sport and parasport. Um, I, I, I still do quite a lot of corporate speaking, which I love and, um, yeah, really enjoy that. And then, um, during COVID, uh, actually, I mean, COVID was quite tough for athletes because yeah, you know, Tokyo it was postponed, but I also knew I'm carrying on training and the worst possible circumstances and situations. It's so frustrating. And at the end of all of this, Tokyo still might get canceled. There were never any guarantees. So I just yeah. kind of had to have a bit of a think and, and, or a, a very firm conversation with myself. And I know I wanted to keep training, but I wanted to also do something productive. And so I actually studied to be an executive coach and, um, I've, I've just, I've just got my, um, my certificate and and so thank you yeah so i'm exploring that world as well um unfortunately the world championships for athletics got cancelled they were meant to be in kobe this year in august and so that's also made it really tough for a lot of athletes it's you know basically there's not a whole lot going on this summer um and so um yeah i think this year will be about just kind of taking over and um, exploring different career paths Amazing. We'll, we'll definitely be looking out for you every year. Um, and, and thank you again for, for joining us on this World Pod. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, then don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time on This Sport Pod. See you then. more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk